Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. I am Scott Chaloner and you join us on another sunny day here in the capital as once again we bring together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. Um, A little later on in today's show we're going to be joined by FIFA World Cup winner Sir Jeff Hurst, the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in a World Cup final. But first I'm delighted to be joined on the programme by Peter Mahoney, Director at Intertrans Cargo Services Limited, a freight forwarding business based in Raynham, East London. Peter, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for joining us. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for the introduction and I'm glad to uh, be on. It's a real pleasure having you with us, Peter. Um, reason we're here, of course, is to discuss your take on leadership and really sort of bring that into focus. But um, before we begin, considering that leaders in business these days are probably facing one of the greatest challenges of our time. I think it would be remiss of me not to ask how the COVID-19 situation has affected your operations over the last few months. Uh, One can always say challenging. Um, As I mentioned briefly, I wear two hats here, one of which is on the freight forwarding side, import-export around the world, and the other is obviously related to food imports from South Africa. And dealing sort of, if you like, generally with the uh, operations for freight forwarding, that's become uh, increasingly more difficult because of the situation we find ourselves in. And we've been handling lots of air freight shipments, uh, albeit uh, in a difficult uh, environment because uh, flights are not going directly to locations where, for example, New York or whatever the case may be. Um, we're having to move cargo around the world to different hubs to, to move it. So whilst business has been uh, moving along, it's been moving along with lots of hurdles in the way. Um, but I, I face challenges and have faced challenges all my life. So it's just another hurdle to overcome. But the problem being is... The concern for, for me going forward is is where we think um, we're going to be at the end of this road because it is a, a really difficult situation for a lot of people. We've been very fortunate in as much as the type of industries that we're in. Uh, we've had business come through, but for those people in hospitality uh, and, and so forth, that must be an absolute disaster because whilst we've been able to work with challenges, We've been able to work and our, uh, our friends, if you like, in society have not had that opportunity. And I really feel for those in a really big way. And it throws up a lot of interesting questions as well as to what the long term effect on your industry will be. Because, of course, behind the scenes as this pandemic's been running on, um, it's essentially replaced the biggest buzzword in the uh, the news environment before now, which was, of course, Brexit. And behind the scenes of COVID-19, the Brexit negotiations have been continuing remotely and then resumed face to face in the uh, the last month or so. And we're still no closer to knowing a few months down into trade negotiations whether there will be a deal with the EU in place by the end of the year so that is also something that you are ultimately going to have to grapple with as an industry as well so it's a two-pronged challenge that you're facing it is i mean at the moment we've actually uh, got on order a number of computers and and, and uh, hardware and software programs to come in this was all done just about as as the uh, covid hit the, the uk so whilst we've got those programs ordered paid for not yet delivered that's obviously going to have an impact on when we can get these things into place um, but we you know these were taken at a time to ensure that we were more or less as ready as we can be for the challenges of uh, brexit and of course um, that 
on order, ready to come. We haven't got the uh, situation, if you like, under our control for the moment, but I'm hoping in the next weeks, at least perhaps month, uh, that situation will rectify itself. But what we've found as far as intertransit is concerned on the freight forwarding side is that whilst we've had shipments coming over from uh, for our customers from various parts of the of the world, including China and so forth, um, the difficulty has been is that those orders were orders were pre-ordered prior to the situation with COVID. Now, for the first time, we are seeing uh, a, a number of um, situations develop whereby there's no longer repeat orders. People are not wanting to, to commit to uh, future orders on this product because they don't know what the future is going to be. So it's, it's a really uh, tricky situation. And I see, unfortunately, a, a lot of potential problems and banana skins around here because there are companies that will certainly not make it through this challenge. I definitely believe that. And when you're in a sort of business leadership position in your industry and you know that there is a storm on the horizon, be it Brexit, be it COVID-19, and you know there are challenges ahead, how is it that you mentally prepare yourself to grapple with those challenges? Um, I think it's just a question of, uh, for me, focus. Um, The the challenges are there. Um, They're there to be overcome. It's a question of how you overcome them. Some people will decide that it's um, too much of a challenge and uh, won't accept that and and just not make the the efforts to do it. Um, For us, if we're moving cargo around, we always look to achieve and get things moving. So um, it's coming down to my my personal opinion, coming down to focus, determination. You can't be, unfortunately, you can't have all the cards uh, stacked in your favour. There's always going to be issues. But try to find and work with people of the same, same if you like, outlook of you, as yourself. Um, but it, it's a, it is a situation whereby, for the moment, there are too many challenges and too many problems coming at the same time. And, of course, with Brexit on the horizon, that's just another example of we've not got there. I mean, we all thought that, as you said earlier, uh, this was going to be the main challenge this year, how we overcome that, how we move forward uh, in a positive way. And everyone was looking, how do we plan? What's the best way of planning? My situation from, from planning is, obviously, I, I look at history. You, you should look, Everyone should learn from history. But the, the problem is it's taught in a way that nobody looks back on history. I mean, all companies, all countries, they, they make the same mistakes. And if you just take a little bit more time to say, you know, these things have happened before. There are issues that you can resolve and, and deal with. Um, but unfortunately, it is a situation these days where not many people look back and, and, and challenge these things. And for us, it's all, all about making sure we're strong as a team. We, we've, we've, I mean, we're very fortunate because we've not had a situation where we've had to furlough anybody. Um, we've had a couple of instances where people have been off um, because of um, their partners having uh, COVID, etc. Uh, we've dealt with all of that. We've dealt with the challenges within that situation. So it's really just a question of making sure that we put in place uh, enough areas where we're not going to be tripped up effectively and, and try to work with a, a network of people that have the same um, ambitions and same challenges as us. So whilst there's lots of problems on the horizon, um, it's not going to be doom and gloom the whole time. The clouds will be there, thunder and lightning coming down, but the sunny days will come. It's really a question of are you prepared, are you ready for that? Hopefully, 
we've done enough to make sure we will do. Um, we've been in business since 1978. I hope to continue a bit longer. And we obviously don't know fully what the um, the longer term effects of a Brexit will be on business until we know exactly what um, comes of the trade negotiations at the end of the year. But from the COVID lockdown period and what we've sort of learned from that, do you think that there are some features of the lockdown that could end up becoming a permanent fixture of the way that business does function in this country? Well, I, I see and everyone tells me about the situation working from home. Uh, and how some people have enjoyed that, other people have not. Uh, we've been, again, very fortunate because we, we've got two uh, interests, effectively. We've got our warehouse in, in Barking, which obviously handles food and distribution, so we can't do anything other than be at the warehouse. Uh, as far as the office goes, I mean, you know, no, no, no one's worked from home. Uh, I personally prefer things around an office rather than working from home um, to my own well-being as well. I mean, I, I just think that people are working from home. Some will find that a, a, a real um, advantage for the moment. But I just think of people's mentality on this because it's not good uh, for them to be, if you like, isolated for such a long time. And I think that in itself is going to have challenges. I mean, I, I spoke to a number of people that said that they would love to be able to get back to work. Uh, and other people, obviously, where they've got maybe young children or they've got schooling issues and things of that nature, that's a slightly different uh, uh, scenario. Mm. But I am sure going forward um, that there will be businesses that want to make sure that people have a, a working environment at home. I mean, there's advantages for, for those because you're not going to commit to uh, more office space or more warehouse space. Um, and there's going to be obviously cost savings there. So that's a worry. It is a worry in, as we're all looking now about um, supplying and buying things online. I mean, we're supplying, we're supplying Amazon, we're supplying Ocado, big online retailers. Um, and people find it, it's fine to, to, uh, to, to buy on, uh, online. But I always worry about the, the, the high street. I mean, if you, if you want uh, a high street that's going to be encouraging, inviting, you've got to make sure it's there. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. So it, there's obviously things that you can buy online, which is quicker and easier and simpler. But don't give up. Have an option. It's always an option. Hence the fact I said earlier, we've got uh, we've had a computer viruses and problems in the last few days. Um, but you've got to have some uh, manual systems and some backup systems. You can't rely on one one thing. So um, I just feel that, that that in itself is going to be a big challenge for the way the work in practice. So, yes, there will be changes and they will uh, affect the way that we do things, uh, every one of us going forward. Um, but I'd like to feel like everything in life, it's all about balance. If you get the balance right, it will work. If the balance is not right, then things are going to tip over and you're going to get wet. And in terms of having to grapple with so many quite huge challenges over the course of the uh, the last year or more so, would you say that there is anything that these challenges have taught you from a business leadership perspective and you can take some positives from them? Uh, me personally, no, because you know when I started business, we started in the worst case scenario. Um, that was when there was uh, massive strikes in this country. Uh, I mean, obviously, there was problems with um, 
a funeral and burials and waste and everything that could go on. So I started my business in the worst possible time. Um, and I got business from people and I got lovely letters from people saying uh, that, you know, we, we provided an excellent service in very difficult circumstances. So if I've come into and I started a business at that particular uh, juncture in my life, um, I didn't choose that juncture. That, that, that chose me effectively. And you just got to get on with it. And um, so, no, I, I, I've been very fortunate. The fact that uh, for me personally, it, it's a situation where I face these challenges before. Uh, they'll be here to be faced again, and not only by me, but by everybody else in this in this world. Um, so I've got no surprises. Never be surprised because you know what thing is is nice one day is going to tip up the next day. You just got to be able yeah. to pick, pick, pick yourself up and move on. And if you could, by chance, go back to 1978 when you first started the business, is there anything on with the experience that you have now that you would have done differently? Um. Yes, I suppose there's always things that you can do differently because I mean it's a learning process. Um, you think it's a bit like children, I suppose, that they think they know the answers. Um, you know, every parent's probably had the the arguments with their, their kids as if you know you didn't come, you wasn't uh, a child yourself. You didn't actually come into this world um, it, at that that stage. You come as an adult. Um, but of course, as you get older, um, you get white. You should get wiser. And I think that's why sometimes I got I got frustrated with the. Uh, referendum result as well because you've got a situation where the young people seem to be blank. It's all right, it's all used old people who are causing all the problems. You know, you're, you're doing this. Well, as life teaches you, as you get older, you generally get wiser. You don't get um, more stupid or something. It is a situation where have some respect for people's views. Uh, and I've learned myself in that situation. Some of the things I did, um, you know, it's a bit rash and, and so forth. But that's enthusiasm, and I think you should never uh, curb enthusiasm. You should always encourage it, um, but guide it, guide it. You show people what you can do. So yeah, I've learned. Uh, I've learned quite a lot. I've, I've got more patience now than I ever did. I never had a lot of patience, unfortunately. And as we spoke just briefly beforehand, um, I think one of the biggest frustrations for me, as we say at the moment, is most people unfortunately, do not use common sense. You know, they look at the computer. It's an easy option for them to say, I can't do it because. I can't do it because. You know, and I always say, look, you were born with gifts. You were born with the gift of sight, hearing, and obviously you've got a brain. Those are really important gifts. Use them. Challenge them. That doesn't matter. Computer's not always right. Somebody's not got the, the answer. And that's how you move forward and advance by challenging existing structures, but never lose sight, always use your common sense, always try to find a common ground to um, be with somebody. And from a lot of German friends of mine at that stage when I was in, in, involved with heavy trade with Germany, um, they taught me quite a, quite a lot as well. And one thing always says, always try to put yourself in the other person's position and you'll see a different view. Just don't take it from your point. So I, I try to be... And I try to encourage other people to do exactly the same things. Not that I can't say they're always going to be right, um, but I must be doing something right because we're still in business since 1978, even over all the challenges that's come about. So hopefully that will continue going forward with the new challenges, uh, overcoming COVID, 
and overcoming whatever pros there is from Brexit. And thinking of the uh, the future, particularly over the course of the uh, the next 12 months, Peter, it's obvious that we are going to have to grapple with a new normal way of living and working. And we're also waiting anxiously for the result of the Brexit trade negotiations as well. Um, so from a business perspective, what is it that you're hoping for and what do you wish to achieve over the course of the next year? Well, I'd like to see, um, if it's humanly possible, a trade deal that is in everyone's interest. I mean, I just get frustrated sometimes when I look at the uh, people in, in, in the negotiations on the EU side. Look, every single one, every single nation, every single person in those countries want to have good relations, good neighbours. And you'll get good neighbours by being um, helpful, understanding and so forth. So there's obviously areas of compromise, but every single one of us wants to have free trade. Um, that was the, the reason I voted all those years ago to join a common market. Anything to bring people together uh, to make a trade easy, not complicated, easy. Um, that's all, all for it. If you start them for um, having barriers by putting put up either by tariff barriers or other barriers, that's not a good sign. You, you want to have as, as much uh, flexibility as you possibly can. And uh, uh, for me personally, I would love to see uh, and have an agreed trading operation that's not going to hamper trade between all our European neighbours. I would love to see that happen. Um, It's in the power of the people to to make it happen. And uh, that that going forward, that would be a massive boost, I think, for every every uh, business in this country and every business in Europe, not just in UK, in Europe. So that's what I'm hoping is that the people that are digging their heels in and uh, becoming a little bit um, uh, frustrated by the situation is just to step back a little bit, have a think about it, of what do we all want to achieve, what, what do we want, and try to make that happen. Compromise, but not necessarily at somebody else's expense all the time. Everyone's got to put their little bit in. If that comes out at the end of this situation and we've got uh, a free trade agreement, then I think it's a wonderful opportunity for every nation in the EU to move forward. Let's certainly hope that that's not wishful thinking for sure, Peter. It would be fantastic if we could see that over the course of the next year. You've got to, you've got to think positive, mm. and that's my positive uh, trait on that. And um, But if it doesn't, then obviously we'll make the best that we can to make these things work in that sense. Exactly right. Um, We are just about out of time on the programme today, Peter, but I've got to say it's been a real pleasure having you join us today. And considering the many amounts of variables that there are still in this, both in terms of Brexit and in terms of COVID-19, I actually think it would be wonderful to catch up in future and have you back on the programme when the mist starts to clear a little bit more and we can just reassess exactly where we're at at that point in time. Yeah, lovely, Scott. Ideal. And hopefully, as you say, uh, in six months, seven months' time, uh, things will be hopefully different um, and we've come to terms with the way of working as we are now uh, and COVID hopefully will be if not behind us but perhaps under control that would be uh, a welcome because it, it is unfortunately dampening people's feeling um, well dampening everything for them at the minute their ambitions um, and it just, just need, needs the cloud to lift so I'm hoping six or seven months time we'll have a, a nice lift from uh, common sense approaches in, in Brexit 
and we've got some sort of controls, either with a vaccine or some way of controlling it better than we are at the moment. Let's certainly hope so. Peter, really enjoyed having you join us. And most importantly, until we do hopefully speak in future, do continue to take care and stay safe as well. I will indeed. Thank you very much indeed, Scott. Appreciate that. Thank I was you. speaking on today's programme to Peter Mahoney, Director at Intertrans Cargo Services Limited. And for those tuning in today as well, do please continue to be sensible and look after yourselves and others too, because it does make a real difference in saving lives. Um, next upon today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 FIFA World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Um, during his professional football career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, but he me- remains most known for the fact that he scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup following his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. And as mentioned earlier, he remains the only man to this day to have achieved the feat. I hope that you all enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Sir Jeff himself. And all of that is, of course, coming up next. Uh, We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did... Uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, there one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time mm. being stuck between the two sports and I think uh, for those that uh, don't know there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer but um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in when you were at West Ham Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played mm-hmm. under him, and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years. I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have 
uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. Um, me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time at, maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, 
a, a specific moment i'm sure there's probably dozens but is there a specific moment if you could uh perhaps pick right now that did show those uh qualities in uh so uh sharply yes i think for, for me certainly um i think there are instances of players who you thought would would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not there was no necessary reason for it but looking mm. back i do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, well, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be and I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week over the next uh, two, three months. 
And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make me laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must 
realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field, surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well, he's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, 
and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. It, we have some great players, of course. But without the attitude uh, alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. The word is, t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-minded, uh, single dedication, Dedication to the job, um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not. Uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over it, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.